Mindfulness Mode 243. Joy for me is creativity because creativity is essential. Hey, Mindful Tribe, reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. And yeah, I do want to thank you again for joining us. I want to mention that last time I was talking with an author who has written a Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Now, how many people do you know who have done that? He's written with other big-time publishers, too. You can go back and listen to Noah St. John at mindfulnessmode.com slash 242. Hey, while you're at it, you can download a copy, a free copy of my book, Cracking the Success Code with Brian Tracy. The Brian Tracy organization approached me and wanted me to uh, write a chapter in the book It's a great book all about entrepreneurs, their real life stories and how they move from mainstream jobs into entrepreneurship. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash cracking to download Cracking the Success Code with Brian Tracy and myself and other authors. Today, you're going to hear from a vibrant woman who realized she'd arrived at the wrong place. She'd studied psychology, she was successful with a great job in corrections, but it just didn't feel right. What felt right was embracing her creative side. You'll find out all about Anne-Marie, so sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with the Soap Queen. Hey everybody, I am really excited today because I have an amazing entrepreneur with us. She's a CEO of her company. Her name is Anne-Marie Fayola. And Anne-Marie has created what I would call an empire in the world of soap. So Anne-Marie, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am. It's great to have you with us. Anne-Marie is a bubbly, fun-loving mindful CEO. And I've seen her in some videos, so I know all of those things are true. And she calls herself the Soap Queen. She's been making soap for over 20 years. And that is hard to believe. She loves teaching her followers on SoapQueenTV.com. Her business is called Brambleberry.com. Anne-Marie lives in in the moment, and many of those moments have been spent with essential oils, beautiful colorants, and putting all of these things together into her highly sought-after recipes. Anne-Marie thrives on the truly pleasurable experience of helping others discover their own world of soaps, candles, and even cosmetics. She's written a book called Live Your Best Day Ever. 35 Strategies for Daily Success, and in that book, she reveals the secret everybody wants, the secret of success. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brambleberry.com. It's really exciting to talk with you, Anne-Marie. So, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you? So, first of all, thank you for that lovely introduction. I haven't quite heard it put that way, and it was a beautiful juxtaposition of all the things that I do and have done. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So mindfulness for me means being present. And it also means feeling joy every day. I feel like when you're really present and you're really having 
each experience and seeing the full compendium of the emotion and the situation and feeling joy, that means that you are being very mindful in the moment. Well, joy for you is making soap. What got you started with this? You know, joy for me is creativity because creativity is essential. And I have been always a very crafty girl and had always kind of made soap or made messes in my mom's kitchen. And when I started making soap at the age of 14, uh, it was really as a way to save money on some of the expensive soaps I was buying as a, a teenage girl. And along the way, I started selling the soap at like farmer's markets and at a small store in my hometown of Chehalis, Washington, and all throughout college. And when I got my degree in corrections, uh, actually psychology with an emphasis in criminal justice and became a corrections officer, it really wasn't something that was very fulfilling to my soul. And I would go home every single night and I would make soap because that was this beautiful expression of creativity and what you put into it, you got out of it because science works. And soon I started selling the soap and from there, my entrepreneurial journey started. Well, I don't know anything about making soap, but I do know that people say there are additives in some of the mainstream soaps that we buy that really make it so that there are some problems with their skin. With your soaps, how are you able to create soaps that are so healthy for people and good for people and natural? You know, there are so many different ingredients that you can use to put in your soap. And so being natural and organic or sustainable is something important to you. Or say you have sensitive skin, you can choose all your own ingredients and learn to make your own soaps and control your ingredients. Uh, right now, I've been really into milk soap making and making soap with milk and making my own cheese too. And controlling your own ingredients is one of the first choices you can make to taking back the baseline of your health. And that's not just controlling the ingredients that go on your body. It's controlling the ingredients that go in your body too with what you eat and the choices you make. Right. And uh, so you made the choice to start creating all these soaps and and then at the same time, you felt like you had to get a real job. You were, I think that's that's how you mentioned it in a video that we talked about, that you, you studied, you got a job in corrections, and you felt that that was the best place for you until you spent a little bit of time there. And tell us how you transitioned back from that job of corrections back into the world of soap making. You're right. I did feel like I, quote, had to get a real job. And I think that's because, first of all, entrepreneurship is, it was at the time seen as very kind of rebel, right? Like mm -hmm. that, no one was really doing that. The, 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 it was still a very safe thing to get your job, get your career, go to college, make sure that you have that very safe plan. And so right. the idea of being an entrepreneur only came to me out of sheer desperation because the cycle of abuse and of poverty and of crime was something that as a young woman, I recognized was something that even though I could make a difference in the individual lives of people that I was working with in the prisons, it was something I would never stop that I could never solve. And when I had my first prisoner come back a second time and I saw him twice in nine months after he was one of my first that had got out, he was 
I, I taught him anger management classes and victims awareness classes. He was one of the best of the best. And he came back after nine months. And I remember that feeling of puzzlement, hopelessness and despair that I felt and sadness for him. And when I, when those feelings started overwhelming those daily feelings of joy and creativity, creativity, and like you said, that naturally bubbly personality, that's when I was so desperate that I quit my job and I told myself, I'll just sell soap for three months until I get quote my next job or a real job. And then that first weekend I was selling soap at a craft fair and I sold a thousand dollars worth of soap and a thousand dollars was a lot of money. It is a lot of money to this day. And that's when I realized that not only was soap making a viable option for me, but I could teach other women who did not love their jobs how to make soap and have a great part-time or full-time income. And so that's what I've done. I now have about 60,000 customers worldwide and nationwide that I've taught to make soap that buy coconut oil, fragrance oils, molds, essential oils, and everything that then have part-time businesses. That's amazing, Anne-Marie. Wow. Thank you. That's, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. I want to talk about the essential oils. What's your favorite? Oh my goodness. Lavender is my current favorite essential oil. And the reason for that is the aromatherapy benefits have been so well studied on that. Back in 2007, I did a clinical aromatherapy course with Jane Buckle. And in 2007, the aromatherapy benefits and the science behind aromatherapy was still really developing. But in the last decade, we have really seen some clinical studies come out where Patients are given a lavender essential oil to smell before or after surgery. They're given lavender essential oil to help them sleep. They're given lavender essential oil to help them calm down, smelling it, not taken orally. And there are some double-blind placebo studies that do show positive effects of being able to calm your parasympathetic nervous system when you smell lavender. And so Brambleberry just added four different lavender essential oils because it is such a meaningful and powerful essential oil. Wow. And I I know that when I go to the store and look at some of these essential oils, sometimes it says they're organic. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it says they're, I think, synthetic. Is that the word that they use? Yeah, they could. And that would be, yeah. And that would be a fragrance oil if they, if they do use any synthetics. And, you know, it's interesting. We work with a lot of family farms in a lot of foreign countries and some of them just can't afford the organic certification. And so organics is still really a burgeoning market when it comes to the essential oils, because let's face it, if you are a small plantation in India and you are growing a beautiful corn mint essential oil, Ah, you probably can't afford the organic certification. And that you see that in coffee, you see that in tea, you see that in a lot of the kind of small fair trade places mm-hmm. that really don't quite have the uh, the supply chain economics worked out like we do in the U.S. Right, right. And so there are so many different essential oils to choose from. And, you know, it's just amazing how they change your moods and they can... They can help you if you're feeling discouraged. They can help encourage you and feel more upbeat, or they can help calm you. And what do you recommend to people who are feeling a little bit down or a little bit discouraged? What would be an essential oil to lift them? 
You know, that's a great question. I used to make a Monsters Be Gone spray for my children. That wasn't about the monsters that were hiding under the bed. It was the monsters that was inside themselves. And I put orange essential oil and tangerine essential oil into that spray. And I would spray it right over their heads and I'd have them breathe deep. And and I, ca- I would tell them it was their happy spray. And so the citruses are great for uplifting. And if you're feeling kind of tired, say, because if you're feeling tired, like, literally you just didn't sleep well enough. Peppermint essential oil, spearmint essential oil. Those are great for just waking up all the entire senses and just whoop, giving you that little boost. Well, I love talking about the essential oils. I also love talking about the visual because I'm a, I'm a visual person and it's really incredible how the visuals of all these different colors can give us a perk as well. What are some of the best sellers when it comes to the visuals? So in terms of colors, Brambleberry has all natural colors. We have colors that are synthetic. We have clays that are sourced from very beautiful mines in small, small, small areas in, in foreign countries. We have so many different options. So I would say that the most popular color for soaps tend to be around the blues, the purples, the greens, those really beautiful gem tone colors right now are very popular. That said, give it a few years and you'll see pastels being popular because those were Mm. popular a few years ago. Uh, So some of my favorites are like a violet oxide. Uh, There's this beautiful purple called the queen called queen's purple mica that I love. So those gem tone colors are so uplifting right now. And as we're chatting, I can see your beautiful violet nails. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're beautiful. So yeah. I could I could tell that you really like that color. But as as we chat, every time I ask you a question, you just you just look like you just come alive and you just can't wait to talk about it. What were you like as a little girl when you were six or seven years old? I I think you must have been just so filled with enthusiasm, but you tell us, what was your life like? You know, my, so I talk about this in my book. I grew up in a rural, I grew up in a rural area, Lewis County. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a psychiatric nurse turned a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And, and they sent me to private schools, uh, private Christian schools, because that was a big part of my, my life was their, was their, their faith and kind of that deep spirituality, which I think has really turned into the mindfulness practice that I have today. I think I've taken tenants of that, but as a six year old, I will tell you that they, my parents tell me that I was delightfully mischievous, that I could read people. I could read their energy and know exactly how far to push it. And that I would, constantly not breaking the rules, but just sort of oblivious to the rules, just sort of above them. And then when I broke them, that I was delightful about apologizing and cleaning up whatever mess I made and just moving on, just very fast to progress through emotions is how they describe me from back then. Sounds like you were pretty spunky. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is a definite word that they, they use. And it's funny because when I had my daughter, my dad said to me, and in a loving manner, he said, I hope you get the daughter you deserve. And what he meant was, I hope you get someone just like you because my the way that my parents tell it, I was the most adorable, loving, smart, fun, easygoing child that was also deeply trying because I never believed that the rules were for me. Well, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, 
being described as that person who could read others, I think that tells me why you have created a book that is so deep in a way, because you have 35 strategies for daily success. Can you share some of your strategies with us, Anne-Marie? Absolutely. And you know, Bruce, people have been asking me why I wrote this book, why I wrote this book. And I've been trying to put it into words because it's, as you, you have read it, you know, it's a pretty deeply personal book. Yes. And there's that great quote about how we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And I really believe that I've been so lucky to have the best mentors and have really learned from some of the best and brightest teachers in the world. And so I took everything they learned and I put it into a framework and just started writing it down so that I could share with others what worked in my life so that they could pick and choose. And that's why there's 35 different chapters so they can pick and choose what works for them. But it's everything from taking all the parts of your life including the parts you don't love and figuring out how to integrate them into your life so that you are loving every part of your life. So there's no shame. There's no embarrassment. You're not, you're not running away from something. Uh, it's about how to set up a system of accountability for yourself. You can't divorce success from discipline. It's about figuring out how to go into things feet first, not head first, right? How do you take those small baby steps instead of saying, I want to be an entrepreneur, so I'm just going to quit my job and do that. No, 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 no. There's some middle ground. How do you do that? It talks about attitude, mindset. It talks about surrounding yourself with people that you respect and admire and how to really cultivate that attitude of gratitude within yourself and your family and your friends. And of course, the big ultimate, which is finding your why. Why are you here? What is the bigger purpose for your life and how do you go about figuring out how to get there every single day? Well, I want to bring up a couple of things that you mentioned. One is an attitude of gratitude. And I just, I agree with you. I think it's such an important thing to be grateful. Can you expand on that and, and how that is included in your own personal life? Absolutely. I believe that when you are grateful, you are present. And since we're all about talking about being mindful, when you can see the good in every situation, you are being present, you are being mindful. And that attitude of gratitude is the ability to turn every situation into something that you can look at and say, well, you know what? It could be worse, at least blah, 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 blah. Right. So in the story, I tell the, the, in the book, I tell the story of when the bottom floor of our house exploded and how that left my family and me homeless and also very, very, very uh, shook up, literally and figuratively. And my husband, thankfully, feels the same exact way I do. And we were standing out on the street. There was 48 firemen there, seven fire trucks. Everybody had been ordered off the scene because the house was minutes away from blowing up all the natural gas lines in the neighborhood. And Chris just turned to me and he said, you know, when I think of where that boiler was and I think of how close it was to going into our daughter's room on the second floor and killing her instantly, we are so lucky. And I think that that really encapsulates that attitude of gratitude, being able to find that cliched proverbial silver lining in everything. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you also mentioned that you can't divorce success from discipline. You mentioned that, and that's such a powerful statement. Tell us about the discipline in your life that you've applied to achieve the kind of success you are enjoying. 
one of the fallacies I think of entrepreneurship and of any life that looks very well lived from the outside is people don't see the daily incremental drudgery that gets you there. And so what I mean by that is if you have a, if you are fit and healthy, you know what, that's not by accident. That's not because you have good genes, only like 0.1% of the population has good genes for that. It's because you're going to the gym every day. It's because you're saying no to the cake eh, six out of seven days, right? Mm -hmm. And you cannot have massive amounts of success in any area, your marriage, being a parent, in your career, whatever it is, without those daily tasks that you know you have to do. So for me, for example, I get up every day before my children. I read 20 minutes in a business book. So I really am centering myself for the day. Then I meditate and then I make sure that I'm fully prepared and ready for when my children come down. Uh, my husband, when he's training for a marathon, he gets up every day before the children and he goes running. And boy, on those training days where he has 16 or 18 mile days, he's getting up very early. He's running with a headlamp. That's the kind of discipline I'm talking about. And so when people see him running like a gazelle over the finish line, cause he is a, he's a, he's a good runner naturally. Um, they don't see the hours and hours. They don't see the fact that he went to bed at nine o'clock the night before and didn't have the beer. They don't see that we all went out as a family at seven o'clock the night before and hid water along his path, right? So that he had water the next day. People don't see the daily boring tasks, but that is truly what has to be done in order to get the thing you want the most. And speaking of the daily boring tasks, when you write a book, I think that's the same. The same is true. You're just working and working and working. A lot of our listeners would love to write a book. I know that they reach out to me and they talk to me after I've interviewed certain people who have written books and they say, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, but I just can't seem to achieve it. How did you achieve this, Anne-Marie? So writing is truly a task of flailing, of failing, and of just doing it. It doesn't matter how bad the writing is. It doesn't matter that you are so critical of yourself in your writing. Just doing it for 20 minutes a day does eventually produce a book. When I was writing the book, um, I, that was, that was almost two years ago. Now there was there was just daily writing that had to happen. I scheduled in an hour of my time to just write. I, and then I realized that my office where Brambleberry is located was so busy and so loud and so wonderfully uh, chaotic that I wasn't able to write there. So I rented this tiny little room. It's, it's just a closet basically near my house. So I could just go there and I called up my room to think and I wrote there. And so when I got to that room, my cell phone went across the room, across from my writing desk and I didn't look at it for eight hours or six hours or however long I was going to write. And so a lot of it is just forcing yourself to do it, getting into the habit of doing it. And I did that when I got my nutritional therapy degree as well. I just forced myself to study 20 minutes a day. So making a manageable goal that you can do every day that doesn't seem so big, right? Like so many people are like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to take a whole month and I'm going to go to Italy and I'm going to just sit in that little house and write a book. And then they get there and then they're kind of busy touring. And then all of a sudden the month is over, right? Mm -hmm. No, just do 20 minutes a day and eventually you will have a book. 
That's great advice, Anne-Marie. It really is. Anne-Marie, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I wanted to ask you a question about bullying prevention because it's very closely related to mindfulness. And if we can learn what it means to be mindful, then bullying can take on a different dimension. Were you ever bullied or did you ever experience this kind of thing in your life? You know, bullied is a strong, a strong word. And so what I would say is that I was never the popular kid. Uh, Kids used to call me thunder thighs in middle school. And then in high school, I, I was not a popular kid. I remember running for student body. Uh, I think it was treasurer or secretary and the popular girls tore down my signs from the wall. Um, And so I felt, I felt lonely And I didn't have close girlfriends. I didn't have a close tribe in high school or even middle school. And I think that's one of the reasons that I have really, as an adult, where I can control my environment and my surroundings much more, right? In high school and middle school, you are, you are in the pond and you're stuck in the pond no matter what. And I think that's why as an adult, when I can control things around me more, more better, I have really surrounded myself with a group, a tribe of strong business people, strong women of integrity, strong men of values to spend the bulk of my time with. Wow. Well, obviously you're in the right place. You're where you're meant to be because you're you're thriving and you seem so happy with it. And Marie, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? That's a great question. I, for years, tried to meditate because I am like a a hummingbird. I'm very fast and like my husband says, I I burn brightly. And so I, for years, tried to meditate. And I never was able to develop a meditation practice until Oprah and Deepak Chopra came out with their mindfulness app. And something about listening to Oprah and then listening to Deepak and then meditating really got me on that path. And so then with her, with her app, I meditated every day for 365 days. And finally, finally that, that habit stuck. So I would have to say Oprah. Wow. That's a, that's a great story. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Anne-Marie? On the I try to meditate every day, usually twice a day, morning and night. And if I miss it, say I'm traveling and it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Right. I notice that I'm more quick to negative emotions. I'm quick to judgment. I'm quick Mm -hmm. to feeling persecuted. I'm quick to feeling the victim. I'm quick to flashing with anger. I'm quick to telling myself a story that is not true about the situation on the days that and weeks where I'm consistent about meditating, I think it helps to give me the pause between the situation and my emotion and the story I'm telling myself. And when I do that, it takes the sting away of whatever negative situation I'm in. Right. How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? When I breathe, I'm able to calm my heart rate. I'm able to focus myself. It's almost impossible to be stressed if your parasympathetic nervous system is not having a wildly beating heart rate. So breathing in and out and in and out is something I often come back to 
especially in times of anxiety or when I'm feeling stress about something, especially on planes, especially when I'm dealing with a four-year-old who won't go to bed, for example, the deep breathing. And so I would say that I am deeply aware when I'm stressed out, I am more inclined to take shallow breaths that are quick versus when I'm fully present, I'm deep belly breathing in and out, in and out. Mm, and you're making me feel relaxed just when you said that in <laughs> and out. Yeah, it's true. So could you recommend a book related to mindfulness? I love the Eckhart Tolle book, A New Earth. When I read that book, I was very much taken deeply into why we have the relationships we have with people and how our pain hooks into their pain and how that can be a cycle. And I think one of the areas that we often neglect being mindful in is our relationships. We're thrown together in these relationships. We're in them unconsciously. We've been friends with them forever. So they're a little negative, whatever, fine, 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 or they're family members. And so his book really brought up to me the, the deep mindfulness that we should be putting into all of our relationships. Right. And I really appreciate his writing as well. Wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful book. So you've mentioned the Oprah and Deepak app. I don't know whether you have another one or if that's the one you want to suggest, but I always ask, what app would you suggest that's related to mindfulness? You know, I love the Calm app. I believe it's about $70 a year and it's worth every penny. They have a daily new 10-minute meditation every day. And for those of you that like to check the boxes, and I'm a big check the box kind of gal, at the end of the meditation every day, they show you how many days you've meditated that month. And then they tell you how long your streak is. Congratulations, you're on a 10-day streak. And that is highly motivating if you're type A even though that's, of course, the total opposite of what you should be thinking or feeling when you are trying to be mindful and present. But I don't care how I get there. If that's what motivates me to spend that 10 minutes in solitude and quiet and breathing, I'm in. Right. Well, it's really great talking with you. And I'm so impressed at how you have really applied discipline. You've applied mindfulness. You've, you've set out to, to meditate. And so many people do that, but don't achieve success. And you really have. You've moved forward and you meditate, you mentioned twice a day, usually. And that's a wonderful achievement. So I, I really admire what you've achieved in your life. And it's great to talk with you. But how can Mindful try? connect with you and learn even more about what you do. Oh my goodness. I would love to connect with them. So on Twitter, Brambleberry is it's at Brambleberry on Instagram. It's at Brambleberry. And then my personal account where I do fun things like again, make cheese or, uh, make soap on my personal accounts is Anne Marie creates a N N E M A R I E creates. And so I'd love to see them there. Uh, they're always, I would love to have your listeners buy a copy of my book or sign up for one of my fitness and health challenges at bestdayever.com. I do them four times a year, and that's all about being mindful with your lifestyle practices. And yes, mindfulness and meditation is a component of those, those lifestyle challenges that I do four times a year. And you also have a YouTube channel. Aren't yes. you the soap queen on YouTube? Soapqueen.tv. So if you want to learn why and how Handmade is Best Made, I am there. I've got over 100 free videos there. 
Oh, that's great. You're so generous with your with your recipes and your how-tos. And, and I know watching you, it just makes it, it look so, like so much fun and so easy and something you just really, truly want to get involved with. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for this interview. It was really delightful. My pleasure. And I'll put all of those links into our show notes. So it's at mindfulnessmode.com. Thanks so much for being with us and have a great rest of your day, Anne-Marie. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.